0: episode 117 of the pilot the pilot podcast takes off now
1: my name is kevin coleman i'm a professional airshow performer and i was a part of the challenger class of the red bull air race
0: Aviation, Nation, what is going on? And welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot Podcast. My name is Justin Seams, and I am your host. Today is another Air Race Week. So you listen to Sammy Mason. Now we're listening to Kevin Coleman, who they both know each other. They both have a little competition. They both uh, have a a great respect for each other. So this is going to be a fun episode. We talk about Red Bull Air Race. We talk about air shows. We talk about flying the extras. We talk so much about aviation. It's just a lot of fun. I was so thankful for Kevin to come on and share his story. And I'm hoping one day I can find myself flying upside down. On one of his planes that'd be pretty cool. So, Kevin, I'm gonna hold you to that, like we talked about. But uh, we'll wait till coronavirus kind of goes away for that. Avery Nation if you enjoyed this episode, if you just want to reach out and say hi, you can email me pilotpilothq.com. Leave us a review on iTunes. Check out our Patreon page. Buy me a coffee if you'd like to support the show and also the swag. The hats are supposed to be here, so if you haven't ordered a hat, make sure you order one. They're going quick. I'm waiting for them to come in as we speak. So hopefully, by the time this is out, I can ship those out. Aviation, thank you guys so much for listening to both these episodes on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Shout out to Kevin for putting in the work in the edit. Wouldn't be able to do it without him. I don't want to keep you guys any longer. So without any further ado, here's Kevin Coleman. Kevin, what's going on, man? Welcome
1: to the Pilot the Pilot Podcast. Yeah, Justin, thanks for having me, man. I'm uh, excited to be here. Excited to talk to you.
0: Absolutely, man. It's uh, it's good to talk to you and it, it's, uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a good conversation talking about your story and uh, why you even started in aviation. So let, let's just get started with that. Why did you ever want to be a pilot in the first place?
1: Uh, I have a, a unique story about aviation. So my father uh, started flying uh, whenever he was in medical school and then in the mid to late eighties decided that he wanted to learn aerobatics. I was born in 90. So he actually met a man named Marion Cole, who was, um, uh, at the time, a very famous air show pilot, very famous aerobatic competitor. Um, still is this day. He met Marion and, uh, Marion started teaching me aerobatics. I was born in 90. So my dad was flying air shows. So I grew up going to air shows, um, uh, I, you know, I was in airplanes from the time I was born and ever since I was three years old, the only thing I wanted to do was, was be an airshow show pilot. So, uh, I pretty much dedicated my whole entire life to it. I'm 29 now. I started flying air shows professionally when I was 18. Uh, I started competing in aerobatic competitions when I was 16. Um, I started, I guess I should go back and say that I started taking aerobatic lessons in our decathlon, like real lessons when I was 10. So, uh, I've literally dedicated my whole life to this and, uh, you know, just every day out hustling and just chasing what I want to do and chasing my dream as hardcore as I possibly can.
0: That's crazy. Since you're three, you knew this is what you wanted to do.
1: Yeah. I've never wanted to be anything but a, but a pilot, specifically an aerobatic air show pilot. You know, when I was a kid, all I played with was, uh, with airplanes and, uh, you know, my dad flew air shows, uh, from, before I was born until I was seven. Then my older brother started flying air shows and I started helping him. He was flying a pits. He's 10 years older than me. So, um, you know, I'd go to all air shows and help keep the plane clean and put gas in and smoke oil and stuff like that and just trying to take in as much as I possibly could. And uh, all of that little bitty things that I've been able to experience growing up have helped me get to where I am now.
0: What do you think it was at age three that made you catch on uh, to aerobatics or flying in general? Was it kind of the smells, the senses of it? Like what what, what, what specifically triggered your love for aviation?
1: You know, it's people ask me that. It's kind of hard to know because I was... I mean, I was so little, it's kind of hard to even remember what it's like. You know, people, another question I get is people ask me, you know, do you ever get sick? I'm like, I've never been sick. I I don't remember, you know, what it was like in my first aerobatic rides because I was so little. I was, you know, three or four years old. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess just everything about it. I was around a lot of very cool people as a kid. You know, obviously being around Marion Cole, he taught me how to fly, how to how to fly aerobatics Uh, And that experience goes a long ways. And just being around people like Sean Tucker and Mike Goulian and uh, Kirby Chambliss, all these guys uh, were family friends because of my family being in the business. And specifically my family being associated with Marion Cole is uh, what gave me those opportunities to be around those people. Uh, And yeah, I mean, I just, when I was a kid, like, you know, those guys like Sean Tucker and Goulian and Kirby were you know, my heroes. Like I didn't really look up to people and, you know, baseball players or basketball players or anything like that. Those are the people that I looked up to. That's so, cool. so, uh, yeah. So I just, you know, it's cool. Cause I've got, uh, pictures with Kirby and Michael as a kid, you know, like five, five or six years old in front of the airplanes at Oshkosh. And then, uh, you know, fast forward to today and they're, I would consider them some of my best friends. Uh, so we, you know, even when we're not doing air shows and racing together, you know myself, Michael and Kirby are doing other things together, so it's been very cool just of them to allow me to get to know them the way that I do and you know treat me the way that they do
0: yeah, it's really interesting when someone has that passion and that drive to do something at such a young age, and even like later, like I say in middle school or elementary school or. Well, high school, whatever it is to, to find that drive. I mean, high school might be more common, but that age, I've only met one other person in in my life. And it was when he was, I think we were in kindergarten. He knew he wanted to be a Navy fighter pilot. And he had that goal all throughout his life. And he became a Navy pilot and he is doing that. Uh, but what did your friends think? Cause we always thought he was like crazy, not necessarily crazy, but like just, he knew what he wanted to do. And we didn't really understand that at a younger age. Uh, what were your friends like? Uh, were they all involved in the same thing? Cause it sounds like you're kind of surrounded by that kind of community. Or did you have friends that are like, Oh, this dude really wants to be a pilot. All right. Uh,
1: yes. Yeah, so I grew up in a super small town, uh, in Louisiana where I still live today. Uh, so, you know, all my best friends from, kindergarten are still my best friends today. I grew up in a town of about fifteen hundred people um, I graduated high school with fourteen people. ten of us went from kindergarten to graduating high school together and so to for them like they all knew my dad and had watched him fly and like everybody knew that you know obviously my dad was a pilot and um so I think it was kind of a pretty normal thing um you know I could you know, we'd get out of played football and baseball in high school and junior high and all that kind of stuff. And after football practice, I would go straight to the airport and go get an airplane and, you know, practice my aerobatics. So, I mean, even as a young kid and when we were all young kids, everybody knew that that's what I wanted to do. And it was honestly, I think kind of normal, uh, just because of the uh, being around it all the time. And, you know, my friends being around it because of my dad and, you know, coming to air shows with us and, basically in the summer, if, uh, if I wasn't working on the farm, I was at the airport practicing. So if you wanted to come hang out with me, you had to come out to the airport. So a lot of my friends would come out to the airport and, you know, watch me practice aerobatics when I was 16 years old. Uh, you know, just being able to solo and go up in the aerobatic box and practice aerobatics. If, you know, people would come out and watch me then. And, uh, you know, now it's pretty cool because the same friends get to come to all these big air shows that I fly and air races that I fly. So, uh, you know, it's just it's neat to me to know that I've had the same very, very close group of friends, uh, you know, since I was four years old, basically, to, to now. And, uh, you know, it's between them and the flying thing, everything's it's just normal everyday life for me. So uh, I guess the long the long the long answer to that is uh, I don't think anybody thought I was crazy or, you know, none of the kids thought I was weird or. Cause everybody knew that that's just what was going to happen and, and, uh, you know, what did happen. That's
0: awesome. Uh, what was, so your dad was a, as a doctor, uh, my wife's in med school right now. So it's kind of funny to hear that. And, but, um, what was it about aerobatics that made him want to do that? Because most doctors, you know, they have this uh, this full career where they're making a lot of good money and they just want to go fly for fun. They don't necessarily want to do aerobatics. But it sounds like your dad was like, nope, I want to do air shows. I want to do all this stuff. Did, did he ever tell you or do you guys talk about why he started in that and what kind of brought him toward aerobatics?
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so... I'm the only non-doctor in my family. My older brother is an ophthalmologist. My little sister is uh, in her ophthalmology residency. So I'm the black sheep. I'm the one that just said, I just want to be a pilot and I want to fly aerobatics. But uh, yeah, my dad got his pilot's license and, uh, you know, was just having a good time with that after he got out of medical school just as a hobby and uh, went to a local air show and uh, saw Marion Cole flying a decathlon. And said, "You know, I want to do that. Like that looks pretty fun, and it'll make me a better pilot. And I want to, like, I think it'll improve my skills as a pilot." And uh, and he just randomly walked up to Marion's, like, "Hey, I'd really like to learn aerobatics." And uh, Marion invited him to the airport the next week. Said, "Come up Shreveport, and uh, you know, I'll put you in the decathlon, and we'll start. We'll start then." So that's how it happened. So he really got into aerobatics just because he wanted to develop better skills as a pilot and make himself more competent and safer. And then, as he started aerobatics, he just fell in love with it and decided that he wanted to do air shows as a hobby. You know, he didn't do it full time like I do it. He does. You know, he would do six, seven, eight, ten shows a year, just as something to do on the weekends. And uh, so that's how he got into that. But my family got into aviation um, from uh, my two great uncles. I have uh, one great uncle got killed. in a P 47 in France. And then, uh, one of my uncles, great uncles survived, uh, the war. He was flying P 51s. So my dad grew up around my uncle that survived and hearing all the stories about flying with his buddies and P 51s and stuff in the war. And, uh, that's what really sparked his interest in aviation.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. My grandpa flew in, in World War II as well. He flew the Chinese Burma humps, and I never got the chance to ask him any of those stories, which I wish I was able to, because I didn't really fall fall in love with aviation until later in my career. But yeah, it's really funny how kind of the war kind of helped create more generation of pilots. Like it kind of forced people to become pilots in one point. And then from there on out, it just kind of fostered that love and passed it on from generation to generation. And it's interesting to hear the different stories between people. And it's either they're the first generation pilot or they're um, third generation or fourth generation. You know, it's, it's pretty cool to, to see kind of how that all works out. And it's also interesting that to see your dad, he, he went up and shot his shot, man. Like, it might feel like most people nowadays want to go up to someone like that that has that kind of like prestige and it is kind of, they might consider them like an untouchable, not really able to talk to him, let alone go ask to go fly and teach him how to do aerobatics, you know?
1: Yeah. And, you know, that really uh, tells you how good of a person Marion Cole was. Cause when my dad walked up to him that day, I mean, that would basically be like walking up to, Sean Tucker or, or Michael Goulian or Kirby Chambliss today I and mean, be like, Hey, I'm just some random guy. Will you teach me aerobatics? And them saying yes. Uh, I mean, that's pretty much what it was. And you know, that, I don't, I don't know what my dad did to make Marion, uh, want to fly with him. Uh, I guess whatever he said worked out and, you know, and Marion was just that kind of person that wanted to help people. So it's, uh, you know, in that relationship from that day in the mid eighties, um, Changed my life and I wasn't born until 90. Because, uh, you know, when I was a kid, Marion Cole was a part of our family. Like he was at the hospital the day I was born. He was always at my birthday parties when I was a kid. Um, And at the time, I didn't really understand uh, how cool or how important that was. Um, You know, as a child, like I just saw him as, you know, I called him Uncle Marion. He was just, he was just always there. Like I knew he was a pilot. I knew that when we would go to Oshkosh and stuff like that, when I was three, four, five years old, you know, people would come up to him and everybody wanted to talk to him. Everybody wanted to shake his hand. And I can remember like walking and looking at stuff at Oshkosh and people stopping him and me being annoyed. Like, come on, like, I want to go look at stuff. And, uh, you know, that was one thing that Marion was really good at, was stopping and talking to absolutely everybody. And uh, so I I feel like I kind of, uh, I don't want to say I took, took it for granted, but I just didn't know, you know, as a child. And as I got older, then I started to realize how important he was to aviation and important to the aerobatic world. And, uh, you know, I'm just lucky that my dad went up and talked to him in the mid eighties. And that changed my life because, you know, he, Marion taught me how to fly. He signed me off for my solo. Uh, you know, he started teaching me aerobatics when I was 10 years old. So, uh, and that's what, when you look back at it, when my dad walked up to him in the mid '80s, that's what made my career what it is today. That's what gave me the opportunity to do everything that I've done, be coached by Goulian, uh, you know, make the United States aerobatic team, be invited by Red Bull to do the air race. All that started because my dad walked up to Marion Cole at an air show in the mid '80s. Yeah.
0: I'm going to put that to the test. I'm going to go up to Sean Tucker next time we have an Oshkosh. If we do, be like, hey, teach me how to fly aerobatics, please. <laughs> Let's yeah, see that's how pretty works.
1: much what it would be. see if that works out for yeah, you. Yeah,
0: I'll report back. I'll let you know. I'm expecting a big no. <laughs> but yeah, um, so yeah, you knew that you had this love of aerobatics, but you're three. <laughs> or you're just young. Like, when did you start flying? When did you actually start doing your training? When did you start uh, going up and flying for fun? Kind of How did that whole this whole process work out from a love of aviation to actually making it happen?
1: Well, uh, I guess I would have to start. Um, my mom, uh, my mom soloed, but never got her license. And she didn't really like the whole aerobatic thing my dad was doing. So I was born in June. And, uh, when I was six weeks old, my dad took me out to the airport without my mom. And, uh, my mom's like, do not put him in an airplane. Well, of course they did. So uh they put me in a decathlon and my dad held me and Marion flew it and they went out and did aerobatics with me as a six week old child and uh with my dad holding holding me in, in his lap. And then um uh, so I mean fast forward, I mean, I would always my dad always had a decathlon as I was when I was a child. So I always got in the back seat. I mean, ever since I was I mean, I don't even know how three or four really and um uh, just always wanted to go and um uh, I didn't never wanted to just go up and like cruise around and look around. Like I always want like, let's go do some, like I wanted, let's roll, let's roll. Like we would, my, I don't know how many rolls my dad did in a row for me just saying, roll, roll, roll. And, um, so that's just how it happened. And then, uh, on my 10th birthday, Marion decided that it was, if I wanted to do aerobatics that he wanted to train me right then. So I started taking, Legit aerobatic lessons in our decathlon uh, when I was 10 years old from the front seat. So before that, like I would, you know, they would let me roll it once in a while and, you know, fly it around and, you know, just kind of mess around and play uh, with the controls. But when I was 10 is when I started actually training aerobatics and understanding the aerodynamics and understanding P factor and torque and how it all works. And uh, so that's where it started. So yeah, when I was 10 years old. That's crazy.
0: 10 years old. I'm, I'm 30 and I haven't ever done an aerobatic lesson or a role. You're 10 and you're learning out how to do air show races and figuring everything out. That's wild. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, it's, uh, you, you know, like I said, I, when I was a child, I didn't, I don't want to say that I took being around Marion and being trained by him for granted. Cause I obviously I took it all in as much as possible, but, um, you know, I've taken this, Completely seriously, since I was 10 years old. And, uh, you know, I've worked my butt off every single day. Um, you know, like I said, after high school, after football practice and stuff, I'd go to the airport and fly. Uh, you know, for some during high school and summers, uh, two summers, I moved. I flew out the, to uh, California in the decathlon and lived at Sean Tucker's place and practiced aerobatics every day for the whole summer I lived there when I was 16 I had to get my older brother to ride out to California from Louisiana with me in my decathlon because um I didn't have my license yet so he I was practicing aerobatics and being coached uh by Bill Stein in California every day when I was 16 and 17 in the summer so I lived in a camper trailer at the airport in King City California at Sean Tucker School for uh basically six months of my life uh during high school wow That's incredible.
0: What what was it like flying a Decathlon across the country? That must have been a long Uh,
1: flight. It was, yeah. Uh, You know, the Decathlon's are just such good airplanes, and I've got a little over a thousand hours in a Decathlon, and uh, just such such a good airplane. So, going back to the Decathlon, so that's what Marion started training me in, and I ever since I was five years old, I knew that I wanted to fly an extra, and that's because of Michael Gouli, and whenever and Oshkosh in 1995, uh, what Michael had just come off winning the his first national championship in Unlimited, and uh, the extra was new to him. Before that, he had a, a stalker at the time. It's called a panzel now, but I watched Michael fly the extra at Oshkosh, and when I was five years old, I just turned five, and I told my dad I want an extra, like that's what I'm going to fly. And uh, so fast forward twelve years, and I was. Well, when I was 17, I got my first extra, but when we were, when I was growing up, you know, my dad and Marion decided that I had to fly a decathlon, um, 600 hours before I could get in an extra. I had to be able to fly a decathlon at a very high level before they would let me get into something more powerful. And what that was is, you know, the decathlon teaches you real stick and rudder skills and how to do energy management and you know, how to really fly aerobatics and stuff that the extra is really easy at. Like the energy management in an extra is super easy because it's got a lot of power and it's easier to, to do things like that. So, um, when they told me I had to have that many 600 hours before I could even consider getting an uh, an extra, uh, I just put my nose down and started going at it. And then uh, when I was 16, um, I had a little over 500 hours into decathlon. Um, or I even write when I soloed it actually. So, um,
0: before you had your, rating, yeah. you had 600 hours on a decathlon. That's crazy.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, but that's what they told me I had to do. I had to be able to fly a decathlon at a high level before I could get an extra. And I wanted an extra. So, I went out every day after school and practiced aerobatics and got as many lessons as I could and flew as much as I could and to get to my goal. And then, um, you know, I just, I've been lucky to have a dad that likes aerobatics and, has been able to help me get to where I am. And so we got our two seat extra when I was 17. And um, he said, okay, you can get this extra. Um, We're going to get a two seat first because you know it's just not as powerful. And uh, you fly it 500 hours and be able to fly it at a very high level. And then we'll consider getting a single seat uh, with more power and more authority and more aerobatic capability. And I flew the two seat extra 500 hours in six months. And uh, so that's, I was just out grinding, man, just putting my time in and flying aerobatics every day in it. And uh, so that's when I was able to get an opportunity to move up to the airplane that I'm flying now. What's it like to move from a decathlon to an extra? Like,
0: I mean, I think of an extra and I just think of it as like an absolute rocket ship, like a small rocket ship that just goes. And a decathlon is probably a little bit slower. I'm guessing, I mean, obviously slower, but more forgiving. I'm guessing the extra, you said the energy management is a lot easier, but you can probably put yourself in a, a bad situation a lot quicker and maybe not have the power to get out of it. But uh, what what was the, the difference between going from a decathlon to an extra? Was it like incredible or do you think the decathlon really set you up to fly it?
1: Uh, kind of both. The decathlon set me up to fly it because the decathlon gave me skills that you're not going to learn in any other airplane It gives you true stick and rudder skills, like I said, energy management skills, and everything that you do in a decathlon has to be close to perfect um, because you're always, like I said, losing energy, and um, you have to have a lot of top rudder and know how to work the rudder when you're rolling. So it gave me the skills to be able to have a head start in the extra. So when I was 14, I would go out to Sean's school at Tatima Academy, and I would rent the his extra 300 L and fly with their instructor, Ben Freelove. So in between me flying the decathlon, I was also going out to California to fly the extra with Ben. Who's a Ben Freelove is an awesome instructor. He's been on the advanced aerobatic team for the United States, the limited aerobatic team for the United States. Um, so even when I was still flying the decathlon, I was still starting to develop skills in the extra. And then when we got our first one at that point, you know, I'd already had like probably 50 or 60 hours of duel from Ben. So, when I got out of on and entire extra, it was a pretty smooth transition and something that, you know, I had prepared for and um really studied hard to to be ready for.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's good. Cause obviously the extra is, is a pretty amazing airplane. I mean, when I see them take off, I just imagine how much fun you can have in one of those. Yeah, they're, you know,
1: so such a good airplane. It's they're so dependable. You know, I've got a two seat and a single seat and uh, just such great airplanes. They're, they're forgiving when they can be. And they'll also bite you whenever you're not on top of it. So super fun airplane to fly and, you know, just completely dependable. And every time I get an extra, I just feel safe. Like you get in one and when you know it, you know it. And you just, you, you get in and it's just like, okay, this thing's a part of me. Like it's, we're all one piece now. And I never have any, second guesses or anything whenever i strap into one of those things yeah
0: that's good you don't want to second guess yourself at all especially when you're doing some uh, some crazy maneuvers <laughs> yeah exactly so here's an interesting question so your family is a line of doctors and you have this goal of being an air race pilot how does someone that has this goal where they just want to fly air race view school, especially coming from a family of doctors Were you like, I hate school. I just want to focus on air racing. Or was there a lot of pressure for you to kind of continue on the, the line of doctors as well?
1: No, there was never any pressure, you know, for me to be a doctor. I mean, I think my dad would have uh, liked it if I would have been, but um, in my family, my little sister's always been super smart and she's made straight A's and my older brother the same way. And I was the middle child and, I was the athletic one. I was the one playing sports and, you know, in school, I mean, I did okay. I, you know, I didn't fail or anything like that. I'd made decent grades and, but whenever I was at school, um, you know, I was, I was thinking about airplanes. I was thinking about aerobatics and, uh, you know, keeping up with what Michael was doing and watching videos and watching videos of Kirby. And, um, uh, you know, when the air race started in 2003, I was 13. So, I would watch videos and try to analyze and see what what these guys were doing, and that's what I was doing in school. I really wasn't paying attention to school, and uh, you know my my brother and my sister they were going home and studying and trying to better themselves that way, and I was going home and thinking about airplanes. So, uh, but I gr- graduated high school. I went to Louisiana Tech uh, University in Ruston, and I got two degrees there. I got a business degree and an aviation management degree as I was flying air shows full time. Um, So I went and did that, and uh, you know that was kind of my dad saying he's like, "Look, I'm gonna do everything I can do for you for the your flying thing," and I support that, but you have to go to school, you have to get a degree at least. So I went and did that, had a good time at Louisiana Tech, you know, and got two degrees from there, and really enjoyed my time there. Um, You know, there's a part of me that wishes that. I would have spent more time on campus and got to know more people. But to be honest with you, like I was there to uh, get something done that I had to get done. And that was kind of it. Um, I was flying air shows full time, even when I was in college, because I started flying air shows at 18. And uh, so basically I was at college just to, to get done what I had to get done. And uh, that was it. So you know, every now and then I think about it, you know, I see people having a good time at college or, you know, doing whatever they do and wish that I might would have, enjoy that kind of stuff, uh, a little more, but, you know, I had my goal and I knew what I wanted to do and, um, I wasn't gonna let anything get in the way of that. And that's, uh, what has set me up to be, to be where I'm at right now.
0: Yeah. It's an interesting balance that you have to have to strike and have to find when, when you have such a a high goal and you have something you want to do for the rest of your life. And you know that at an early age and it's a, I mean, you learn this as you're going out. I think everyone kind of has this, whether you're an athlete, whether you want to be a pilot, whether you just want to do really well in school and achieve more. You have to figure out a way to to make sure you have a, a school and life balance or whatever it is and and everything's different for everyone, like you said, maybe some days you might look back and wish that you're doing, but everything you did put you in a position to get to where you are today and have all the experiences you have so it's really interesting to hear saying like, well, maybe I could have gone back and, and done that, or but it, it's really cool to see how much you might have sacrificed to get to where you are today as well
1: yeah, you know and uh one thing that uh, has really helped me is uh, you know, so going back to, you know, being in college, I would go to my classes and then I'd go straight to the airport. And either I was working on the airplane, trying to make things better on it, you know, trying different, uh, adjustments on the ailerons to make them feel different and try to find a perfect setup for me or, you know, practicing. I was always at the airport. That's where I was. And, um, uh, I met my now wife, uh, through the Red Bull air race. She was Kirby Chambles's, uh, team coordinator. So she basically managed Kirby and, uh obviously, I've known Kirby my whole life, so Kayla started working for him. That's how I met her and she definitely has um helped me get a little bit uh more comfortable with going out in public and like when we'd go to air when I go to air shows, I would normally just go fly my show, do my thing you know analyze video after go to go to the hotel, maybe grab dinner and uh you know she's really help me open up my horizons. And like when we go travel all over the world for the Red Bull air race, now I'll go out and go sightseeing with her a little bit when we have a little bit of downtime. So she's definitely, um, helped me. I don't want to say get out of my comfort zone, but she's definitely helped, helped me see that there's more to life than just the flying thing. Right. And you know, it's, it's kind of cool because, you know, literally this aerobatic passion of mine has been my sole focus since I was a small child. So, you know, getting uh, her, getting me out of my comfort zone and going and seeing things and, uh, having other experiences has been fun. And, you know, so that's, that's really helped, I would say my quality of life go up because, uh, you know, I'm not thinking about aerobatics and flying 24 hours a day. Now it's like 22 hours a day. So it's, uh, (laughs) it's been, it's it's been really fun yeah. doing all that stuff with her.
0: Well, it's great when you have a career that gets you to see the world, but it's a shame if you don't get to experience any of those, those great things in the world, you know? So it's great that she can do that and and help out in that
1: way. Yeah, for sure. You know, like we've, we've been, uh, I think we counted up somebody asked us a few weeks ago, how many countries we've been to together. And it's like 22 or 23 countries. Um, and that's all because of the air race and because of red bull and you know, what, what opportunity they've given me. And, uh so yeah, we've gotten to see some awesome places. You know, we've been to Russia a few times, been in Japan, been all over Europe, uh, you know, all over Asia. And um so yeah, so you know, getting to getting to go out into these awesome cities that, that we get to go to for the air race and look around and, you know, see other cultures has has been very cool and something that I would not have done if it wasn't for Kayla. I would have definitely just gone back to the hotel and, you know, analyzed video and try to make my flying better. So, you know turning your brain off for a couple hours a day is, uh, is a good thing. And it took me, uh, well, I'm 29 now. I met Kayla when I was 25. So it took me 25 years to realize that, uh, you know, you can't be thinking about flying 24 hours a day. You have to turn it off and think about something else for a little while.
0: Absolutely. You got to have some fun in your life and you got to be able to, to turn it off, like you said, and do something else and kind of regroup. And I think it's important for you to get better at what you do too, because you need to refresh yourself. You need to make sure you're, you're uh, maybe you take a step away and do something fun and it can kind of reset your mindset and make you think about other stuff.
1: For sure. Yeah. And uh, you know. 100% credit to Kayla for for making me get out of my comfort zone and do that stuff. And my game definitely did elevate, uh, you know, whenever I started taking other time to do other things. Uh, so for sure, you know, I owe her a lot to the success that I had in the Air Race. You know, in my rookie season of the Red Bull Air Race, um, I came in as kind of the underdog. I was the youngest one ever at the time to be invited to do the Air Race. And um, I was kind of the, unknown person because most of the pilots are European. Obviously I'm an American. I was the first American in the challenger class. And uh, I came in my first race and first practice, I was the fastest out of everybody as a rookie. And that kind of woke some people up. And I finished second in my first race. I finished second in my first five races. And that kind of woke people up like, okay, I don't know who this kid is, but he's for real. And then I won my next race. So my first uh season of Air Race, I went second, 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 second first. And uh that breakthrough win in Ascot England was awesome. And uh, you know, that that season is really my rookie season really woke a bunch of people up that I was for real and I wasn't just some redneck kid from Louisiana. Like I was I was here to go and here to win
0: when you say that most of them are European and you're in the, the redneck kid from Louisiana, it makes me think of a, a Talladega night situation where you are, uh, you're Ricky Bobby and they're, uh, whatever the other guy's name for the French. That's kind of
1: an ongoing joke. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Kirby makes that joke quite a bit. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much what it was, you know? So, um, but I like it, you know, I like, I liked, I, my first year when people in the air race, when I was 25, when, people didn't have very high expectations for me. Like I said, I was kind of an unknown quantity. I wasn't part of the European aerobatic crowd and nobody really knew who I was. And, uh, I kind of liked that. And I liked, I kind of thrived off of those people thinking that I wasn't going to be very good. And then going over there and just smoking them was, uh, definitely a good time. Something I won't ever forget. That's awesome. Um, this is an interesting
0: question. Uh, What was, so you had this goal, you want to be an airshow pilot. Most pilots, when they come up, they have a very set kind of criteria. They're going to go private, instrument, commercial, commercial, multi-engine, CFI, ATP, go to the airlines? What was it for yep. you? What was your goal? So like, obviously get your private, but did you care about your instrument? Did you get your commercial right away? Kind of how did you progress in training? And how did you view training? Because I talked with Sammy a couple of days ago and it was really interesting to hear how he, was like, he could care less about instrument. All he wanted to do was fly it, roll it, rip it, do whatever he could to put him in a position to go fly in the air races or to go fly aerobatics, whatever it may be. Were you similar to that?
1: Yeah, I mean, me and Sammy have a, we have, a lot of like story and we have a lot of different story. We, we come from different backgrounds. Uh, but I think me and Sammy both have the same, uh, drive and passion for aerobatics. Yeah. I mean, I soloed on my 16th birthday. Obviously that's the quickest you could do it. Um, I got my pilot's license on my 17th birthday. Um, uh, I went ahead and did my instrument cause I was, you know, my, my dad was, I was, I was a kid. So I wasn't smart enough to, to see all this and you know the the odds of somebody making it to the level in aerobatics and making money doing this as full-time job are very 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 low there's only a handful handful of people in the world that fly aerobatics flyer shows fly racing as their full-time job and it you know as a kid you don't see that right like i'm just like that's what i'm gonna do like i don't have a plan b i have a plan a and i'm going to make plan a work but obviously my dad had enough foresight to know that I needed a backup plan, which is why I went to college and got degrees. And yeah, so I got my instrument rating because you know, my dad's like, Hey, you need a backup plan. I understand that you have, uh, one goal and you're going to make that goal work, but having a backup plan isn't a bad idea. So I got my instrument, my commercial, my multi-engine and all that kind of stuff. So I could have another flying job if I needed to do that. But I did that out of uh necessity, not wanting to, uh, you know, a lot of people want to go to the airlines. A lot of people love to go to the airlines. That's what they want to do. And that is not my goal at all. Uh, I I don't think that kind of flying's is fun. I'm, I tell everybody all the time that I'm the worst instrument pilot on the planet. Um, you know, when I was learning how to fly, Marion would cover up all of the instruments except the oil pressure. So like when I was flying the decathlon and when I was 10 and learning how to feel an airplane and understand an airplane – I didn't have any airspeed indication. I didn't have a turn coordinator. Uh he would, you know, cover up everything but the oil pressure and the altimeter basically. And I had to learn to fly the airplane by looking outside and, and feeling the coordination in your body. So when I started taking instrument lessons, I got really frustrated because um I wasn't very good at it because I was looking inside I-, I couldn't force myself to look inside and because all my flying had been looking outside and feeling the airplane. And obviously you can't do that with instrument flying. You have to look inside and believe what the instruments are telling you. And so I really struggled, struggled with that. and I struggle with that today still. Um, and so it was very frustrating. I hated getting my instrument rating. I was so frustrated cause I wasn't good at it and, uh, I didn't want to do it. You know, I wanted to be flying aerobatics instead of doing practice approaches. So it's a combination of not wanting to do it and just being frustrated because, you know, the, my whole life, I had somebody saying, look outside, don't look inside, look okay. outside, look outside, feel the airplane. And now all of a sudden you got somebody saying, look inside, look inside, look inside. Trust the instruments. Yeah. You're like, what instruments? And, uh, I only have oil pressure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. As long as it's got oil pressure, I'm good. Let's yeah, go. Right? And are uh, looking good. So I'm, I'm a terrible instrument pilot. I do have an instrument rating. I do have a commercial. I do have a multi-engine. Uh, but yeah, it's not my thing. I, I don't want to. You know, if I can continue to make a living flying air shows, flying aerobatics, and doing air racing, that's what I want to do. And, um, you know, but it's good to have a backup plan. I'm glad that my dad made me go to college and get a degree. And I'm glad that he had enough foresight to, you know, to make me get all my ratings. And that way you have a backup plan. And uh, like I said, as a child, I didn't understand that. And uh, now that I'm 29 and in the place of my life where that I'm at now, I'm glad that I have all that as an option.
0: Do you fly IFR at all right now, would you say? Do you use that at all, or is it just you have the rating and you don't really do it very much?
1: Um, I would say that I've flown IFR maybe one time in the last uh, year. I mean, <laughs> not very much. Yeah. Uh, hey. I've had my instrument rating since I was 17, and I've done one actual for real approach and by myself, and I was nervous as hell. And I broke out at like 1,200 feet. So it's just <laughs> it's, it's not my thing. you know, It's the,
0: so like funny. That, I, I had the same yeah. reaction to Sammy too because he was talking about how the, the most frightened he's ever been is flying an approach down to like minimums. And it's really funny because to me, obviously I'm used to IFR, you're used to aerobatics. So for, it's a totally flip-flop for me where the most terrifying thing for me is flying upside down or being uncoordinated and spinning and like doing all that kind of stuff. But for you, that's like what you're so used to and so comfortable with. And it's just so funny that Whatever you practice over and over and over again is how you become more comfortable. So it doesn't mean that I'm, I'll be bad at aerobatics when I try it. It doesn't mean that you'll be bad at IFR once you get used to it and practice it more. It's just really interesting to see the differences.
1: Yeah, we just, uh, between me and you, Justin, like we just have different disciplines. I mean, your instrument skills are going to be way better than mine, you know? And uh, it's funny because like I've got buddies that, you know, on airplanes and, and travel quite a bit. And uh, I've got a buddy that has a CJ and we took it up to Colorado to go skiing this winter and I'm um, sitting in the front with him and um, he, you know, he flies it uh, all the time. He flies that airplane weekly because of his job. And, uh, you know, we're discussing, we you know we're on our way to Colorado and we're discussing the approach and all that kind of stuff. And I, I had to tell him he, cause he, he, he thought that I was going to be his safety blanket. Uh, he bought an extra and I taught him how to fly it and he's really good in it and we were flying instruments in this CJ and, uh, you know, I had to basically tell him, like, look, man, like, this is your deal. Like I am no help for you right now. So, uh, it's, it's funny when people look at me and you know, when I fly with other people and, and things like that and they expect me to be, um, competent in them. And I have to tell them like, literally, man, like I'm not joking with you. Like I am not good at this. So it's uh kind of an ongoing joke whenever I fly with people because I'm just, I'm openly and honestly not good at it, so...
0: that's really good because it actually brings up a really interesting point about people trusting other people because they think and believe they have the experience. But just because you might have 5,000 hours, you have 1,000 hours in cathon doesn't translate into IFR. It doesn't translate into anything else. And I'm not calling you out on this at all. I think this is important for everyone to kind of hear. It's just important to, to to know that you can't trust on everyone all the time and you have to trust yourself. And I mean, ask the questions, make sure you're briefing properly. Like that was a threat and you made sure to, to put that threat out there for them to understand that. That way they, everyone knew of their role in this fight coming up
1: right i mean I, we're seriously cruising up there and we're i mean i obviously i understand everything i mean i mean i've got an inspiration like i get it i understand it all and i can quote unquote do it but we're in an airplane that i'm not familiar with it's a it's his cj he flies all the time like i'm like dude this is your deal like i can work the radios if you want me to but other than that like this is all you like i'm not i'm not i can't save us like it's all you buddy you're
0: like when crap uh, hits the fan it's on you dude
1: Yeah, exactly. Like this isn't me. Like if you want to go fly upside down, then you can rely on me a little bit more. But right now, you cannot. Like this is uh, this is your deal.
0: That's really funny. Yeah, it's just interesting because it doesn't mean you're a bad pilot because you don't like to fly. It doesn't mean I'm a bad pilot because I don't like to fly aerobatics. But when we both go in that situation, we probably feel like bad pilots in that situation because we can't do it to the level that we expect to do it.
1: Yeah, you know, and my whole thing is. for whatever reason people just expect me to be good in an airplane or whatever. And, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm just honest with people. And I think, you know, that kind of takes people, people think I'm joking or something like, like my buddy kind of thought I was joking. Like, no man, I'm like, I'm not joking. Like, this is for real. Um, you know, I think it's just, like you said, it's just good to be open and honest. Uh, like, I'm not going to go shoot an approach down to minimums because I'm not that good. Uh, so just like I might can go fly an airplane upside down down the runway at ten feet, I mean, and be completely safe, and that's my element. But I can't shoot an instrument approach down to minimums, and you know, I know my personal limits and know what I'm capable of, and I don't ever go beyond those limits. And and that's the same thing aerobatics. Like I know, I look at people. Well, to go back, you know, people look at me and they see me doing certain things in the extra, and just because I can do it doesn't mean you can do it. I look at Rob Holland, for instance, who I work with all the time. He's a you know awesome aerobatic pilot, and I know that he is better at things than I am. And there's a certain couple things that I'm better than him, but I know my limits, and I'm not going to try to go be Rob because I'm not Rob. Um, So I think you know that's one thing when I talk to people specifically about aerobatics is you just have to be honest with yourself and know your actual skill level and don't go beyond your own skill. Uh, And I think that's, you know, one thing that aviation's gotten better at and has become safer at is because people, for the most part, don't try to fly outside their own limits. Like, set your personal limits and stick to them. And, you know, don't, it's super important. And, uh, you know, that's one thing that I've, preached uh in the aerobatic world is you know set your own personal limits and stick to those limits just because mine are one thing doesn't necessarily mean that needs to be yours
0: absolutely and that's important and obviously there's ways where you you learn more about yourself as you're flying and you want to try new things but there's certain ways to do it and i think the mentality you have and what you have is great and what you said is amazing and i hope people get that out of this is don't be macho don't have an ego don't think you are god's gift to aviation uh they, the plane will humble you <laughs> and experience will humble you and uh, if you keep pushing yourself one day it's going to come back to bite you in the butt
1: exactly yep completely and you know that like i said that goes for aerobatics and just normal flying like you you know like we were just talking about instrument flying uh there's no way i would shoot an approach down to minimums and you can do that easily because that's what you do and that's what you know you're training for but i can fly an airplane at 10 feet upside down down the runway and that doesn't necessarily mean you can do that because I that's can't not fly one
0: at a thousand feet so it's all good <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: you know your limits i know my limits and i think that is super important for aviation Absolutely. as we move forward is you know people knowing your personal limits and sticking to it and that's how we keep ourselves safe and uh people on the ground safe and people riding with us safe and uh you know like you said an airplane can humble you very fast so it's a, a good thing to have. Yep,
0: Very, very fast. They do not care how great of a pilot you are. They just want to be flown the right way and coordinated all the time. Aviation, I interrupt today's pilot the to pilot podcast with a message from our sponsor. Today's sponsor is Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Why, you might ask? Well, you might be finding yourself with some free time and you always thought, maybe I can make a better podcast than Justin. Well, here is your chance to do so. Go to anchor.fm or the Anchor app and you can download it for free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money, that's right, money for your podcast with no minimum listenership, and it's everything you need in one place to make a podcast. Go to anchor app or anchor.fm to get started today. What uh all right so you obviously were Red Bull Air Race. Um how I kind of talked a little bit with Sammy about this, but I'm guessing this differs from person to person how they get chosen. You were the youngest at the time. What so your mindset 16 to where you are at the Air Race and like how did this whole process happen? Was it cuz of air shows did you get found out in or what was the the reason that you made the switch from air show to the Red Bull Air Race?
1: Yeah. Um you know so the cool thing, you know, when you're talking about Sammy is I don't know if he gave me any credit for it but I had a little bit of a helping him getting race racing. you know, I've competed against Sammy uh for a long time cuz I'm a couple years older than him but I've always seen a lot of potential in him so um you know with the organization they were wanting another American after I was doing well and I really pushed hard for Sammy and I'm glad that he got the opportunity because uh you know he was he was the guy for it but going back to me yeah I got found um when I was 21 um I flew an air show at Fort Worth Alliance in, uh, Dallas, Fort Worth. And I got out of the airplane and this guy walked up to me and was, uh, was like, Hey, I'm a, i am I would like to talk to you. I'm down at Michael Goulian's chalet. Can you come down there in a little bit? I'm like, sure. You know, I didn't know the guy. And uh, I was like, I'll come down there no big deal. Let me, you know, get done with what I'm doing here. And I go down there and, and, uh, find the the guy and I start talking to him and he gives me his business card and his name is Sergio and he is with, uh, Red Bull Air Race. He is the, at the time, um, in charge of all the pilots and all the aviation side of the air race. We get to talk and he's like, yeah, I, I came over here from Austria to watch you fly this air show because we've, heard a lot about you. And, you know, we've been keeping up with your career since you were 17 and we're really impressed with what you're doing and blah, 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 you know, and, and uh, it was kind of surreal for me because it I've wanted to do the air race since I was 13, you know? And so this is, you know, seven or eight years later and this is my first glance at maybe having a possibility at this. So I talked, you know, we talked for an hour and, Uh, you know, basically he just said, you know, I came over to watch you. We're really impressed with what you're doing. You just need to keep doing what you're doing and we'll be in touch. So I was kind of in touch with him for the next few years. And then in, uh, 2014, I just randomly get a call and it's like, Hey, you know, this is Sergio with Air Race and, uh, we want you to come do an aerobatic camp, um, in Hungary. And I said, okay, yeah, no problem. And, uh, he's like, Red Bull pays for everything. You just... We're going to send you an a, a uh, email with your airline ticket. You, all you got to do is bring over your your helmet and your parachute and your fire suit and you come fly with us for a week. And I was like, awesome. So I get on an airline and I go to Hungary. I don't know anybody. I've never been out of the United States. I had to get a passport because I didn't have a passport. Uh, I get over there and uh, there's three of us at this camp. And uh, I'm by far the youngest. Um, I didn't know the other people. and kind of out of my, out of place. Right. Cause like I was the, it, I wasn't part of the European club. Like I wasn't in Europe European aerobatic competitions. And, um, but it was an awesome week. I got to fly. They let me fly the edge. They weren't letting anybody else fly the edge. Everybody else was flying a, uh, a two seat extra. And they're like, Kevin, we want you to fly this edge. And, uh, they're like, do you have any edge time? I was like, I got like an hour. Like I flew Kirby's once. Like I don't, I don't have edge time. And they're like, well, we want you to fly the edge. So um, I flew the edge for the week and I was getting coached by Patrick Paris, who was a very famous um, competition aerobatic pilot back in the day, a very famous coach. So for a week, uh, you know, I, I got to get this free coaching by one of the most famous aerobatic coaches on the planet ever. And I just took it all in and you know, knew that if I didn't get another invite or if I didn't get a shot that that I needed to take full advantage of this opportunity to work with Patrick and uh, learn as much as I could. Cause I mean, I don't know what his fee is a day, but it's a bunch. So with somebody else paying for it, I wanted to get as much out of it as I possibly could. So I worked with them for a week and um, they're like, all right, Kevin, you know, thanks for coming. You know, it's it's been great. You did a great job and kind of went home and not knowing what was going on. And I really didn't hear anything for a year. So I was like, man, I don't know what I did, but I blew the opportunity. I guess I didn't do good enough. And then in the middle of 2015, I get another call. It's like, Hey, we want you to come to a second aerobatic camp. Can you be in Austria next week? I'm like, yeah, they sent me another airline ticket and I go over and I do an aerobatic camp and, um, uh, same thing, flying the edge with Patrick Paris. And there's two other people there. And, uh kind of the same kind of thing. And I go home and and, in a few months later I get a call and they're like, Hey, we want you to come do a, uh, a qualifying camp uh, in Spain. And at at first I didn't really understand what they, I was like, okay, just another aerobatic camp. I was like, I'm just going to be flying airbags again, like just getting coached. And they're like, no, this is a real, you're in the track. We want to see you in an air race track and see what you can do in a track. So well, you can you be in Spain in December? I'm like, yeah, for sure. So I went over and we did a qualifying camp for a week, and uh, there was uh, I think five of us. No, there was more than that. There was probably eight of us there. Uh, a couple people that I knew of, nobody that I knew. Um, I was the youngest one, clearly, and um, you know, I, I had I was the youngest, and people looked at me as the youngest, and nobody really knew who I was that the other competitors there trying to try out. And, um, you know, I was kind of portrayed as the young person with not as much experience, but in reality I had more aerobatic time than most of them, to be honest. And, uh, you know, the, I got in the track and I excelled right off the bat. Like I was the first one that they let do a full track. So you come in and they just make you fly straight and level through one gate. And like, it's, if the first time you do it, it's like, oh, my gosh, they look small and they look low. Um, and there's no way you can make this airplane fit through it going straight through it. And uh, so they start you out really slow. Then they let you do two gates. And then they let you do just a chicane. Um, so th- as that progressed, I was the first one that they let do a full track. And uh, by the end of the week, they were just – the coaches were honest, like, Kevin, just go do whatever you want to do. Just play around on the track. And uh, so. I, you know, I had a lot of experience down low because I was flying air shows at the surface. And, uh, cause I'm the youngest person to ever have a surface waiver in the United States at 19 years old. And, uh, you know, most of the European guys, they only flew at like 300 feet or above cause that's what aerobatic contests are. So I was used to the ground and I, uh, you know, I didn't get any kind of ground rush or anything cause I was kind of used to being down there. And, um, I had a, it was just an awesome time in Spain and then at the end of the week, they they, uh, tell us, okay, we're going to, uh, you know, there's eight of us there or whatever. We're going to take three of you, um, three of you have passed. And, uh, well, I think actually four of us passed, four of you, four of you passed, but we're going to take three of you. And uh, I'm like, oh man, so you don't really know who they're taking. And, you know, obviously everybody's put all this work into it. And, uh, so I go home, come back to the United States and, I get a phone call the next week and you answer it cause you don't really know what's happening. Right. It could be like, yeah, thanks for coming. Cool. See you later. And, uh, I was just lucky enough to be one of the three that got picked. And, um, so that's, that's where it started. And we went to Abu Dhabi that February of 2016. And again, I show up and none of the master pilots knew who I was, the older guys, except Kirby and Michael. And, uh, you know, I'm the, there's only three Americans at the time, myself, Kirby, and Michael, and I'm the first American in the challenger class and everybody's kind of looking at me, you know, differently because like I wasn't kind of a part of their group. You know, all the European guys, they all fly our together. They all compete together. And, you know, I just wasn't part of that crowd and, uh, yeah, I had a great, great first race and was really good in practice, was at the top two every time, qualified well, made hardly any mistakes. And uh was able to I almost won the race actually. So That'd be wild. got second. Uh it was close. And uh you know, that first race is really what opened people's eyes that I was for real. And we got to the second race in, in Austria and that was kind of the next test. It was like well, you know, was the first race just kind of a fluke and can he do it again? And I got second again, almost won again and uh the same thing for the next three races and then won the next the six race of the year. So yeah, I mean, it just, it couldn't have worked out better. And then, you know, my whole air racing career, I did 21 races, uh, and I finished in the top three 16 times. So 16 out of 21, I was, uh, in the top three and I won three races and, uh, you know, these, these races are hard to win. They, uh, you, it's really hard to understand that what all goes into a red bull air race and how hard it really is until you get there and you do it. You know, and and going back to the, when I was in my training camp, I texted Michael Goulian after the first day, because I'd kind of, me and Michael are friends, and, you know, we kind of joke back and forth, and we were always giving each other shit. So I joked with him, because he didn't have a very good season the season before. I'm like, dang, you know, like, you're not doing very good. You suck, kind of thing, just messing with him. And uh, he's like, kid, it's not as easy as it looks. I'm like, yeah, 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 old man, like, whatever. And then... uh, at that training camp after the first day in the pylons, i text Gould and I'm like, dude, I'm so sorry for giving you a bunch of shit because this is hard. And uh, he's like, I told you, kid, like this isn't easy. So it's really hard to see uh, how hard and how difficult it is and how good everybody is. Everybody in the Red Bull Air Race, even if you get last every race, you're still very good because just being able to get through it is uh, an accomplishment.
0: Well, it's kind of like NASCAR, right? Like even every NASCAR race car driver or Formula One, whatever, insert racing here. You are the best of the best and you're still good. It doesn't matter if you crash and finish out of the race or you just have a bad car or whatever, it kind of can translate to flying too. You're still the top of the top and really good. And it's a lot harder than just turning left or just going through pylons the whole time.
1: Yeah, exactly. And you know, and I've got a couple buddies that are uh that I'm super close with that are both in the cup series and NASCAR. And yeah, it's the same thing. Like, you know, yeah, for sure. It's like, you're still very, even if you get last, you're still one of the best in the world. And, um, you know, I just, when I got there, I just refused to, like like I said earlier, you know, people thought that I wasn't any good and um, I was kind of overrated and I was young and I didn't have enough experience. And basically when I got there, I just decided that I was going to outwork everybody. I was not going to let anybody outwork me and, uh, that's what I did.
0: Yeah. And it, it's really cool because when you got that phone call saying that this is, you're accepted to the Red Bull air race, I equate that to, to people getting the call from American or Delta or United. That's the, what you were working for. That that's your end goal is to be in that air race. And what was the kind of overall rush of feelings and stuff when you got that phone call? Was it just elation Were you screaming up and down, like crying and stuff, or you're like, all right, time to get to work. Got to win.
1: Uh, yeah, pretty much, <laughs> uh, I would say I'm pretty even toned all the time. So I got the phone call and uh, pretty much just like, all right, well, now it's for real time to go to work. Like, And I kind of regret that now because it had taken me legit my whole entire life to get there. And it's something that I worked on very hard to get to that opportunity. And I should have probably taken it in a little more than I did. I wish that I would have been a little bit more in the moment um, and, you know, kind of tried to understand how cool it was that, you know, there's basically 20 pilots in the world that get to do this. It's invitation only. Uh, that's
0: and I'm what the youngest one to ever though, right? get to do it.
1: To help and you realize that? Say again?
0: I so said that's what Kayla's for, to help you realize that though, right? That's what Kayla- she's in.
1: Kayla helped me realize that. But yeah. See, me and her weren't together when I got that call. We didn't get together until the next year. And uh, so I wish I would have, now looking back at it, I wish I would have been a little more, ex- I don't want to say excited. I don't know how to put it into words. I wish I would have just taken the moment in a little bit more. But instead, I said, thank you for the phone call, and it's time to go to work. So I went to work and you know, started working more on getting my G-tolerance up and flying Um you know imaginary pylons in my aerobatic box, and really just started focusing on that and uh because when all you know the air race is a uh i mean it was it's a sport, so you know there's articles written about you and you know you t v interviews and all the articles were coming out, and every one of them was uh the young American that you know with the least amount of experience and blah blah blah, and that really kind of chapped my ass and so I had a I kind of had a point to prove when I got to Abu Dhabi that, you know, I wasn't just the token American and I wasn't just the young guy. Like I I'm going to show up and I'm going to show you. And that was kind of my attitude. And whenever I, we got there in first practice and I won first practice and that was kind of like the, yeah, see, I told y'all like you're y'all not giving me enough credit right now. And I, I have, I'm going to show you this. And, uh, so that was kind of my attitude. My kind of my attitude going there, and uh, I guess at first I kind of had a little chip on my chip on my shoulder, and I shouldn't have. And but I mean, it all it all worked. It could have easily went the other way. I could have went over there and got my ass kicked. Uh, but you know, like I said, I was I was going to outwork everybody. I was not going to let anybody work harder than I was going to work, and uh, that really paid off and gave me a super successful air race career. And I, I had that attitude from the very first race to my very last race, I won't let anybody outwork me. And uh, that really helped me along. And, you know, while we're on the air race subject, I I, I can't, you know, go without saying all the help that I had too. You know, Michael Goulian helped me a ton on how to get better in this. Kirby Chambliss instantly took me into his hangar and let me be part of his team and really learn from him and you know and kirby's won a bunch of races and has won the world championship a couple times and uh you know so i was able to learn stuff in a couple days that it took those guys years to learn um so i mean i for sure had an advantage on that and i wasn't going to let i wasn't going to take that for granted if i had kirby sitting there with me you know trying to help me and trying to make me better and um genuinely wanting me to do better. I mean, I was taking notes, you know, I was doing everything I could possibly do to be as good as I could and, uh, to not spoil the opportunity. So, you know, I got to work with all of Kirby's team and learn, uh, uh, from Jason, his technician, you know, as much about the airplane as possible, how we're going to set the engine up, you know, what RPM is optimum. And I also got to work with Paulo is cold, who is his, uh, who was Kirby's engineer and, uh, doing race strategy and, um, So at at the end of the, at the end of the air race, um, you know, last year I was a core part of team chambliss. Like I was helping at that out at the end, I was helping with strategy and what we're going to do to help Kirby go fast. And me and Kirby were working together all this time. And, uh, you know, so from the first air race, Kirby kind of helped me. And then by the middle of the season and starting my second season, me and Kirby are working together. Like I'm, I'm trying stuff to help him get better and, you know, so we're bouncing ideas off each other and we're working with Paulo, coming up with a good strategy. And so I had a very awesome, awesome career in their race and, you know, had opportunity to work with, uh, great people and, and be part of a team that, uh, were winners. And, um, uh, we, uh, you know, we were successful. We were successful with my racing in the challenger class. And, uh, it had been 10 years since Kirby had won a race and, and, uh, um, we got Kirby back on the podium and we won two races in a row with Kirby. And I'm glad that I was a part of that and was there to see Kirby get back on top of the podium and and be where he should be.
0: That's awesome. It's really cool. And it's it's great to hear, you know, everyone talks about the community of aviation and how great it is and how people always want to pay it forward and want to help out and give back. And that just goes to show that as you progress in this career, as you progress in the industry, whether you take it the airline side or whether you take it the aerobatic side or probably whatever you want to do, that community is still there. They still want to help out. They want to make sure the young have every single kind of, uh, they want to have everything in order for them to make sure they can do what they want to do and do it the best of their ability. So it's really cool that the, that mentality even goes up to the competition stages where it's like you're competing against them essentially, eventually, you know?
1: Yeah, for sure. You know? And, uh, yeah, I mean just great opportunity. And, um, uh... You know, and I was the only one in the challenger class my whole career, all four years, with any kind of association with a master class team. And that was a big advantage, I'm not going to lie to you, you know. And um, like I said, working with Kirby, working with Paulo, and, you know, it's just... uh, But, you know, both of those guys saw that, and, you know, obviously I've known Kirby my whole life, and he knew how dedicated I was to it. But, you know, they saw how dedicated I was and how hard I was working, which, in return, made them want to help me because they knew that you know, I was taking it seriously, and their time wasn't going to be wasted. So. Absolutely. So what? So
0: I so Red Bull Air Race obviously isn't a thing as of right now. Hopefully, I've, when I talk to Sammy, there's some kind of rumbling that maybe someone might want to bring it back, and maybe not be Red Bull, but another way. Uh, what's it been like for you without Red Bull Air Racing? What have you been doing? You just gone full air show circuit? What What are you doing right now?
1: Yeah. So uh, you know, now with the the virus going on, the pandemic, I've had a bunch of air shows canceled. But yeah, I'm just a uh, full time air showin. Um, I own a business with my dad. We, uh, we own an FBO, uh, flight school maintenance shop here in uh, Shreveport, Louisiana. So, uh, I'm just running the day-to-day operations out here with that and, uh, you know, trying to make that business side better. And, um, still, you know, going out and hustling sponsors, trying to get a full-time sponsor on the airplane and a primary sponsor. And, uh, I still do stuff for Red Bull North America. Um, you know, whenever I started getting invited to do Things for Red Bull in Europe is kind of when I started a relationship with Red Bull USA, who is Kirby's sponsor, um, Red Bull North America. So I still do stuff for those guys when they need me to, uh, or when Kirby's unavailable to do something for them, they'll use me to go do it. Um, so just doing that kind of stuff. Uh I got married in November. So I've been married for um six months now or something close to that. So that's been fun. Um Um, but that's pretty much it, man. Yeah. Just, uh, you know, just trying to stay focused, trying to stay in flying shape. And with this whole COVID thing going on, all of my air shows have canceled up to the middle of July. Um, but you know, I'm still training, still trying to get better, just trying to stay in flying shape and and be ready. And, uh, you know, if we get the call to go back to air shows, I'll be ready to go. Um, I'm, I'm still in negotiations and, uh, talking to the new organization, like Sammy was mentioning that, Uh, or hopefully bringing the Air Race back. Um, It appears that if it comes back, it'll be the same format. It'll pretty much be the same thing, except uh, it will no longer be called Red Bull Air Race. It won't be owned by Red Bull. Um, So I'm excited about that, you know, and just trying to, you know, we're keeping our team together, you know, Kirby and Paulo, myself and Jason, and, you know, continue to work together and, you know, come up with new ideas for the airplane. So if the Air Race does come back, we're ready to go. The airplane's ready to go. Uh, and uh, we'll just continue on like nothing ever happened.
0: That's awesome. That'd be really cool. I hope it does come back for you, for Sammy, for everyone, because it seems like it's it plays a very important role in a lot of people's lives, and it's just a competition, like the best of the best. It's like our NASCAR. It's like, uh, it's just really cool. And it's something that I, I really, really hope it does come back. Uh, I think it will be a great thing. And I didn't really pay attention to it too much before because when I was growing up, I wasn't really about aviation. I was more about sports and football. So I, now that I'm more into aviation, I think it'd be a lot of fun to, to go watch, go to a race and uh, go do some cool stuff there and, and meet all the guys that are doing it. So I hope it comes back. I really do. Uh, I have one question, bef- mo- one more question for you before we go into the rapid fire section then ended up what so this seems like a career that when I talked to Sam we talked to you so I've only talked to two people in the whole thing obviously your dad got in aerobatics a little bit later but for air racing specifically for kind of air show pilots would you say the vast majority of them get into this very early in life this is something that they really know they want to do at a young age and if not, or if yes, what, what kind of tips would you give someone that's maybe getting into it and thinks they can't do it because they're 20 now and they want to be an airshow show pilot or just kind of tips and tricks that you give someone wanting to get into this career that didn't know they wanted to do it at an early age?
1: Yeah. So the answer to that question is most people get into it later in life. Uh, as everybody knows, listen to this podcast, I'm assuming most people are pilots. Uh, aviation is not a cheap thing to get into. No. No. Uh, Myself and Sammy are kind of unique because we grew up, he grew up in an aerobatic family. I grew up in an aerobatic family. So we've had unique opportunities to do it at a young age. And, um, you know, obviously aerobatics is just an expensive thing to do. Expensive airplanes burn a lot of gas and the training is expensive. But I, you know, I tell people all the time that if you get an opportunity, don't spoil it, which, you know, was what I've done my whole career. Like if, like we were talking about, like if I get an opportunity to, to be a part of Kirby's team, I'm going to not let anybody outwork me. And then if you go back to what my dad did, is he took a shot in the dark to fly with Marion Cole. I mean, the worst that could have happened is Marion could have said no, but he didn't. He said yes. So, you know, if you really want something bad enough, you know, don't let anything stand in your way. Like, Like I was saying, you know, the odds of getting to be a – red bull air race pilot then you know there's 20 pilots in the world that get to do it and so that your odds are not on your side to get to do it and i didn't have a plan b i had a plan a and i was going to do whatever it took to get to that point to get that opportunity and i wasn't gonna let anybody tell me no and i think that's the main thing that you can take that people can take away is you know don't i don't let anybody get in my way or anything getting my way and i think that's how If you really want something and it's truly something that you want to do and you're passionate about, you'll do the same. You'll just do whatever it possibly takes to do it. And, you know, my story is unique, but it all started because my dad asked one question. And I always say that the worst thing that can happen is somebody says no, Uh, but if they say yes, Like that could be life changing. And that one, yes, before I was born, changed the whole direction of my life.
0: Yeah. And I I think we can say don't be afraid to go up and talk to people. Don't be afraid to ask the question. Now, it's really important. You know, there's a difference between being annoying and being kind of just wanting to ask a question and figure out what to do with your career. But Definitely go up and ask. You're probably going to get more no's and yeses, So don't let that deter you, but uh, ask people questions, ask someone that maybe you don't think that would say yes, but you never know until you ask the question. You know, your dad didn't know that he was going to say yes. He was just like, oh, cool. I want to fly aerobatic. Can you help me? Oh, you can. All right, cool. Let's do it. But if he said no, he probably would have gone down to the next person and done it.
1: Yeah. You know, and I can, I can't speak for everybody, but I can speak for the people that I'm close to in the aerobatic world. You know, the, and again, I'm lucky that I get to hang out with these people that are my heroes, like, you know, Sean Tucker and Gullian and Kirby and Rob Holland and Bill Stein and all these guys. And I can 100% tell you that if you walk up to any of these guys at Oshkosh or anywhere else and you say, Hey, I want to learn how to do aerobatics, they might not say, Yeah, come fly with me, but they will give you advice and they will try to help you you know I will just as long as as much as all these other guys you know you know the I you know I look up to Sean Tucker and I look up to Julian and Kirby like I was talking about you know those are my my idols my heroes as a child they're still my heroes and you know the cool thing about them that I can say is they've helped me and Every time I see somebody walk up to them, they're just as genuine and as gracious to just a random person as they are to me, and that's those people and uh you know that's what i'm the legacy that I'm trying to continue forward as these guys are starting to you know quit flying air shows and you know do other things in life and um they're very approachable, you know even if you see them as a hero or whatever they are they're they're in the end we're all just people you know the the air show thing, the air race thing is I've learned it's not who I am. It's just what I do. And, uh, you know, if you walk up to me at an air show or, you know, at Oshkosh or at an air race or or whatever, like, I'm going to treat you just like I'd want to be treated. And uh, I think that I can speak for the most part for those guys that they do the same thing.
0: Yeah, I would agree. And I mean, we didn't know each other. I would just reached out to you right on Instagram. So I'd say you're still doing that. Just maybe it's more of a, an Instagram thing right now with COVID going on and and having its way right now. So you're definitely still doing that. And I appreciate you saying yes to this podcast. It's been great talking with you. Um, I have one more section. It's called the rapid fire section. And it is just just a bunch of random aviation questions. You say the very first answer that comes to your mind and as quick as possible with no explanation needed. Okay. All right. Now, this first one is uh, favorite airplane, but favorite airplane, it's going to be tiered to airliners, to corporate jet, to piston twin, piston airplane. So, if you have four of those, the first one we'll go with is what would be your favorite airliner? Maybe it's just not one you want to fly. Maybe it's one you'd rather fly business class on or just one you've always looked at and been like, dang, that thing's sweet.
1: Okay, so quick I get to fly business class everywhere for Red Bull Air Race. For sure, 787 is awesome.
0: Absolutely. I've done, my dad flies for American and we've done standby from Dallas to Shanghai and then Shanghai back to O'Hare and business class on the 787 is unreal. Unreal is correct. Unreal. All right. Uh, Corporate jet. Do you have a favorite corporate jet?
1: Uh, I've gotten a chance to fly a CJ3 a little bit. So Citation CJ3. All
0: right. What about a piston twin? That's easy. Beechcraft Baron. There you go. That's a good one. Uh, all right. Small piston.
1: Uh, if it's not my extra, it's a bonanza.
0: All right, cool. Yeah, good answer. All right. So I get crap for this. I have an ugliest airplane I've ever seen. It is the Piaggio, 100% ugliest airplane I've ever seen. Now, do you have
1: an ugliest airplane? Well, currently, uh, man, I don't know. I really like all of them. I don't <laughs> have an answer. Uh, It doesn't have to
0: be anything against the airplane. It might perform amazing. Like the Piaggio is a great performing airplane. I just think it looks rather unfortunate, (laughs) but if you don't have one, it's not a big deal. We can move on.
1: I I honestly can't think of one that I, if I, if I come back to it, I can think of one. I'll let you know.
0: All right. Sounds good. All
1: right. What is uh, your favorite flight you've ever had? Uh, I flew Kirby Chambles' Race Edge from England to France. um, On the same day that my great uncle got killed in France, uh, many years before in the war. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Got to go across the English Channel just like he did on the exact same day.
0: Dang, that's pretty incredible. Yep. What is your your least favorite flight? Maybe it was the scariest flight you've ever had or just one that challenged you a lot.
1: Least favorite flight.
0: Maybe it's flying uh, IFR approach. (laughs)
1: Yeah, that's probably it. My least favorite flight is uh, in Dallas, 2017 Red Bull Air Race at Texas Motor Speedway. I was fast all week, went in practice, did good in qualifying. I have the race one, I'm smoking everybody, and the third to last gate, I got an incorrect level, I got a two-second penalty, and I got third place, and I would have won. Dang. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I feel for you right now just hearing that. My heart dropped.
1: <laughs> oh, I, yeah, I'm still not happy about it. But yeah. it was my fault. Nobody's fault but me. You yeah. so learn
0: from it. What's your favorite thing about aviation? Favorite overall thing about aviation?
1: The people. Uh, aviation people um, are, for the most part, what I've been around and what I've seen and the people that I've talked to and the people that I've interacted with, all the people are great people. Uh, you know, just... Great, helpful people. Almost everybody that you talk to, you know, even at Oshkosh, like I'll walk around. People don't know who I am. There's no reason for them to know who I am, and I'll just have conversations with random people, and they're always so welcoming and warm and excited about aviation. So it's really cool, especially like the Oshkoshs and the Sun and Funs, to be around people that just love flying and uh, love airplanes, and uh, that's that's probably the the coolest part for me. It's just talking to people.
0: Who in the industry would you like to meet most? It could be living or it could be someone that's died.
1: Oh man, I've had so many cool opportunities. You know, I've had dinner with Bob Hoover. Um, For me, I would probably say either uh, two guys that I never got to meet that were big into the aerobatics scene and made aerobatics what they are today would be, I would like to meet Charlie Hillard. I'm friends with uh he died in ninety six and I was unable to meet him. Uh I'm friends with all of his family. I'm friends with his wife and his or his widow and his kids and me are good friends. I would have loved to have been able to meet him. Everybody in the aerobatic world looked up to him and and respected him. And uh the other person would be Leo Loudenslager, another Aerobatic pilot, another national champion that uh I unfortunately never got to meet and I would I would love to be able to meet both of those guys that Paved the way for where I am right now.
0: What's something you wish you knew before he became a pilot?
1: Oh man, see, that's a hard one because I was so young. I know.
0: <laughs> before I asked, I was like, uh, he was a pilot when he was like three years old, so I don't know what they're six weeks old. <laughs> we can go back to it if you want, or we just Again, want to answer I, it. I,
1: I, I guess what I wish I'd have known is how cool it was when I was a kid to be around all the people that I was around. Like, I was around people like Marion Cole and. Bobby, Bobby Yunkin and Jimmy Franklin and, uh, Sean Tucker and Kirby Chandler. And I, I took, I didn't know how cool of an opportunity that was.
0: Yeah. That's a good one. All right. Here is another one. What is your favorite airport you've ever landed at?
1: Favorite airport. Uh, you know, Spruce Creek. I really enjoy Spruce Creek in uh, Daytona, Florida. Least favorite airport. Um. Uh, Texas motor speedway inside the motor speedway <laughs> at a uh, red bull air race. Super Never small runway. Oh man. It's uh you land inside the speedway. It's hard. Yeah. That's it's great. not very, very much fun. That's
0: awesome. That's good to know. Um, let's see. I got one. All right. So let's say hmm, favorite airport food. You're flying to another airport. You get a crew car. What kind of food are you going to get? You getting barbecue, you're getting local, you're going to Taco Bell. What's your go-to?
1: Uh, I'd usually try to go local. So it depends on where we are. I know in North Carolina, when I fly a show out there every year, uh, there's an awesome barbecue place. So I would say something local uh, in North Carolina happens to be barbecue. So I'd say something like that.
0: I like that you brought up North Carolina. I'm from Charlotte. My favorite ever flying food is barbecue at Pick and Pig. if that's what you're talking about. I don't know if you've ever been there before.
1: I didn't. I haven't, but uh, I've got friends that live in Charlotte. I was there in September and I'll be there again soon. So maybe I'll... Ask him when go by and see that. Yeah. So
0: you got to fly. It's about like an hour flight, probably from Charlotte East, maybe 30, 45 minutes. It's been a while. So I've done it. It was called Pick and Pig. It's now, they identify you as BQ1 for barbecue one. And it's probably one of the coolest flying airports. Bring cash or else you're going to be washing dishes to leave. Okay. All right. some good stuff, but yeah, definitely go there. Um, Yeah. Charlotte's great. I grew up in South Charlotte, flew out of Monroe airport and did a lot of flying out there. It's a good place. Cool. Yeah, man. What, uh, Airbus
1: or Boeing? Boeing. Uh, favorite airline livery? United. Long trips
0: or short trips? Short. Uh let's see. Biggest win in your career so far?
1: My first one, Ascot, England.
0: Biggest regret in your career? I'm guessing Dallas. Uh,
1: biggest regret is uh, not living in the moment and taking it too seriously and not just taking it all in and seeing how cool it is. Dang, that's deep, man. We're going deep. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is what it yeah, is. Yeah,
0: I know, right? Uh, favorite airline to fly on? United. Would you rather fly on a CRJ-200 or an Embraer
1: 145?
0: 200. And let's see, Piper or Cessna? Oh, it depends on what it is. Um, what you choose. If you had to choose either one, the best plane they both make, the best uh, smaller airplane that they make, what would you choose? I guess Tecna. I should say Piper or Textron. I said, i Textron. Textron
1: all all day, every day. All right, cool.
0: All right. Kevin, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, man. I really appreciate it. Your story is pretty cool, man. You've done, uh, it's just really interesting to talk about different aspects of the aviation world and where it can go where it can take you and and you took it to the top and i hope one day you get to return to the air race and whatever it may be called maybe be the pilot the pilot air race one day you know <laughs> yeah that'd be cool yeah, that'd be <laughs> wild. but uh i wish you the best <clears throat> and everything man stay in touch and uh i yeah, appreciate it
1: yeah man thanks a lot for having me i really appreciate it no problem have a good day
0: Aviation. That is a wrap of episode number 117 of the Pilot the Pilot Podcast. Like I said earlier, if you enjoyed the episode, please make sure you leave us a review if you haven't already. The more reviews we have, it, it goes to show uh, ranks what podcast is number one. And my goal is obviously to have the number one podcast. So the more reviews we have, the more highly rated will be. The more likely someone else will be able to find it when they search Pilot Aviation, whatever it is. So please leave us a review, share with your friends, let everyone know that you're listening to the Pilot the Pilot Podcast. And like I said, the hats are out. Make. Sure, you go check those out. You do not want to miss out on that. It just takes a while to get these hats in, and coronavirus has really messed up the the uh, distribution of, uh, of shipments and everything. But I hope you guys are all staying safe. I hope you're flying a lot. We have some great episodes lined up, and some that I cannot wait to share coming up next week. We have one more air race, and then we have a YouTube week, and then we also have a UFC fighter, which is an awesome, awesome episode. But Aviation, I hope you're having a great day. Stay safe, and as always, happy flying.